Welcome to Trained, a podcast exploring the cutting edge of holistic fitness. I'm Ryan Flaherty, the Senior Director of Performance at Nike. On every episode, I call up the world's leading experts and athletes to talk about mindset, movement, nutrition, recovery, and sleep, all the ways to train your body and mind. Today, I'm getting into it with a mental performance coach who's helped a lot of young NBA players find their strength by helping them find their vulnerability. Just like lifting weights, your instincts aren't to go get a bunch of resistance in places. Like you have to consciously go do that and put yourself under that situation. I mean, run away from fear. Fear is scary. Instinctually, we've been doing that for generations. There's no one who doesn't feel fear. You wouldn't be living the human experience. So our instincts, right? We run from something that feels uncomfortable. So our training is we have to teach ourselves to go back. We've just been living reactionary, it seems like, for quite some time. That's mental performance coach Graham Betchart explaining why we should all get a little more comfortable with being uncomfortable, or in other words, why we should go against our instincts and get vulnerable. It's an approach that's been shockingly effective in Graham's work as he's helped some of the best players in high school and college ball become some of the best players in the NBA. But for Graham and the players he works with, being vulnerable demands more than taking risks on the court. It demands setting aside your fear of losing and even your hope of winning. It demands that you come back again and again to the present moment even when it's the last place you want to be. That kind of vulnerability, Graham says, doesn't always come easily for an athlete, or anyone really, who's been taught to always stay in control. He also says that, for many of us, this last year forced the issue, throwing us into difficult situations, career paths, or mental states that we'd run away from if we could. But we can't, and we shouldn't, because that's where we'll find our biggest opportunities for growth. According to Graham, that goes for NBA ballers, 9-to-5ers, students, parents, partners, and everyone helping to make a great big vulnerable world go round. All right, Graham, well, thanks for taking the time to join us today. I appreciate it. Come on, Ryan. You got it, man. I'm excited for this. <laughs> for anyone who listens to the podcast knows that I secretly wish I would have had a sports psychology degree instead of a exercise science degree because the more you work with athletes, the more you realize that talent, skill level is their ticket in. But really what separates the great from the good is the mind. Man, I appreciate that. This stuff changed my life as a kid and I couldn't imagine not sharing it with people. How did you get into sports psychology and mental performance? It was my first year of college basketball. I'm 19 years old and... As the season was winding down, everything in my life was falling apart. My home mm. situation, I'd had anxiety that I'd never dealt with my whole life, and I broke my ankle, my first injury I'd ever had. All these things just came cascading down on me at 19, and I just was like, I can't carry this anymore. And I reached out to my mom for help, and she introduced me to someone who taught me everything. She was a counselor, and I wasn't learning anything through sports. I just wanted to feel better. You know, I was low. But she taught me to meditate, to visualize the power of self-talk. And then she told me some powerful things, Ryan. She said, you have to practice this every day. This is a training. And then my athlete brain kicked in and was like, oh, I know how to do that. Yeah. And then I realized, wait, if this is practice, why wasn't I taught this earlier? I was like, wait a second, there's something off here because we all need to be practicing this stuff. Yeah. That's kind of how like the spark came in me. And then a couple years later, a friend of mine said the word sports psychology. And I didn't even know that was a field. <laughs> as soon as I heard those words, man, I was like, I'm all in. That's what I'm doing. You don't realize that this stuff really isn't taught. Unless you're really lucky, you come across a coach who just yeah. had it when he was coming up or go to a program that's big enough to where they actually employ somebody that's a sports psychologist for the team. You're kind of on your own to find a lot of this stuff. Why do you think that is? Like, why don't you think we teach this at a younger age? 
First of all, I think a lot of that is shifting in real time right now, which is really good. I know 15, 16 years ago for me, when I got into it, there was a stigma. There was this idea that like, no, let's take care of our body and stuff. But if you got something going on with your mind, you better suck that up and don't say anything. And toughness means you don't admit you don't feel good. Now toughness is you're willing to be vulnerable. Everyone knows that's the way more powerful thing. We were behind for a while and some people lucked into it. Maybe in a crisis, they found it. Michael Jordan's mental coach was a heroin addict dying in the gutter, and he found mindfulness and then eventually taught it to Phil Jackson and Michael. But it's like what we noticed was everyone found this stuff in a crisis. And so my work was like, we have to normalize this and create proactive mental skills training, and we have to teach it before they ask, because for some reason, we only give it to you when you ask. How do you approach it with an athlete that you're working with that maybe comes from a background where mental health is a stigma, vulnerability is a weakness, not a strength? You know, I would say it's just like someone who's never worked out in a gym, right? You can't just crush them the first day. You just stick with them. The thing that's helped me the most is I don't care at all about your background or any stigmas you found or any of that. It's like a little kid saying broccoli's not good. We just simply know better than that. So we're going to help you get it to you in different ways to connect to you. Maybe we try to put in a language that you can relate to, put it into music. We're for sure not going to say you don't get it and be frustrated with you. And I think that's where we found a gap. You know, you'd see a kid say, why do I need to do this? Which is what most of the NBA players... I worked with when they were kids said, and I was like, oh, they don't know any better. That's fine. And I would just keep teaching it with love. And that's how I was able to get this through that gap. So those early years when a kid doesn't know or someone doesn't know, you never take that personal. You teach it to them because there's a moment when they get it and then they look back and go, thank God you were teaching this to me and you weren't listening to me not believing in you or something like that. Exactly. A lot of the athletes I talk to and work with, when we start to introduce some of these concepts, the one thing I always stress them is I'm not teaching you this for right now when you just made the million dollars, everything's going great. I'm teaching this for when things hit the fan. That's right. You need tools to be able to process through that. And a lot of athletes, you notice they're used to being the top athlete in the Mm. city, in the county, in the state. They're used to success coming pretty easily. They're so talented. Especially athletes that make it to the NBA. I mean, generally those athletes, crazy. you you could spot them pretty early, you know? (laughs) For sure. I don't think they experienced some of the difficulties of, you know, guys like a Michael Jordan or people who are, didn't make a team in high school that's few and far between. It's when they really hit the skids or they get in the NBA and they can't make it off the bench that they really start to go, wait, hold on, this is not something I'm used to. And that's when it really becomes important. Something that you say that I think is so great is that you can be vulnerable in the context of a game. Can you break that down? You can compare that to going into a weight room and letting your muscles burn a little bit. And that's how you know you're growing. If you refuse to be vulnerable, first of all, you're never going to grow. So we have to establish that being vulnerable, it's like the thing you want to do. Like when you lift weights, you're not making your muscles burn for 24 hours, right? It's a controlled little moment where you're like, okay, I'm going to do this for a few moments. I'm going to hang in there. So in a basketball game, being vulnerable might be someone saying, hey, I don't want you to miss a shot. Don't miss any shots. And you're out there going, man, I'm going to have to miss some shots. It's part of the deal. And you just trust your shot and shoot it anyway, even though you know you might have to deal with all this stuff going on as opposed to avoiding that. Mm. Players will tell me all the time, you know, as soon as they start getting into like the math equation, so they say, oh, I don't want to miss shots or I don't want to shift my shooting percentage. They're no longer in flow. They're not willing to be vulnerable. And a willingness to be vulnerable is where all victory occurs. And that sounds like insanity until you experience it. But then once you experience it, you go, why have I been avoiding this vulnerability? And all you think is, I wish I would have done this earlier. That's where the strength lies. I'm not saying being vulnerable like you're in physical danger, none of that, right? We're not talking about that at all. We're talking about where you're like, I don't want to fail, I don't want to miss, or something like that. That's where you embrace that, you go right into that, and that's where you discover what supreme confidence is. Avoiding vulnerability is not confidence, right? Because there's certain levels you don't want to go to. Supreme confidence is I'm willing to do it. And supreme confidence doesn't mean you feel amazing. It means you 
feel vulnerable, but you're yeah. still willing. You're like, I'm willing to do it. I'm just going to lean in and do it. And you know what happens after is you feel surreal because you realize, oh my God, like, look what I just did. And then you get to a whole new level of energy. And once that energy comes in your body, you no longer listen to that old intellect that told you don't be vulnerable because you understand the power. It's like if I told you lifting weights, hey man, don't get uncomfortable. You'd be like, you're crazy, bro. I'm about to go get strong. You know what I mean? You'd be like, that's yeah. insane. That's how being vulnerable is. If someone's like, I don't want to get vulnerable, I'm like, you're crazy, man. Like, wouldn't you want to yeah, get yeah. strong? And I start talking shit just like that. And they're like, who, man, what are you doing? <laughs> and then I can help him get into it. Right. Because if you're not willing to be vulnerable, here's the deal. You can never talk to me about wanting to win. You can never talk to me about wanting to be number one. You can never talk to me about being competitive because you're simply not. And I'll say it right to your face, look you right in the eyes, and say you're going to be really good at being mediocre, and that's your life, man. And if you're cool with that, go for it. <laughs> so I'll challenge them, right? I'll be like, don't ever talk to me about yeah. winning, though, because you just don't want that. What you want is to be comfortable. And I get it. And that's, that's your life. Go for it. It's not for yeah, me, though. Yeah. No, no, 100%, <laughs> man. How do you feel like in learning vulnerability, does that impact them as a leader too on the team? Because that's a core tenet of leadership, especially in a locker room, is the ability to be vulnerable with your teammates. How do you help them in that aspect? The very first thing is they have to want to do this. That's just like saying someone like, how do I help someone build muscle? Well, you have to want to lift weights. You'd have to want to do this. So if they want to do this stuff, I say, be real. Let's be real. For example, I work with the Navy right now and I work with some admirals that run aircraft carriers. And asking them to be vulnerable, they were like, we can't be vulnerable, man. And I'm like, well, what's tougher, being vulnerable or not? And they were like, well, actually, being vulnerable is tougher. So we simply worked on a concept of being where your feet are. And I said, Admiral, one of the things we do is you can wear a bright color pair of shoes to help remind everyone we're training to be in the moment, be where your feet are. And he said, Graham, I don't want to do that. That feels uncomfortable. (laughs) And I said, well, guess what, man? Here goes your vulnerable experience. And he was like, and he got off the phone. I was like, well, we'll see. And three weeks later, he sends me a picture of him full fatigues and bright blue shoes on. And he has the biggest smile on his face. And the sailors next to him are like, feeling them. And they were like, Graham, it worked. Everyone is feeling it. And I was like, well, there's victory to the vulnerable, Admiral. And this is someone that gets shot at, literally getting shot at. And he's like, I don't want to be vulnerable. And I'm like, man, the power of vulnerability is sometimes literally more than life or death. So a little action like that, of that willingness to be vulnerable, he did that for the sailors. And then all of a sudden they opened up. He was leading them, right? Because now we can ask them to be vulnerable. Totally. Yeah. We know vulnerability is important, but it's so hard for people to dive into that. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I, mean, I think one, it's counter instinctual. Your instincts go away from being vulnerable. Just like lifting weights, your instincts aren't to go get a bunch of resistance in places. Like you have to consciously go do that and put yourself under that situation. I mean, run away from fear. Fear is scary. Instinctually, we've been doing that for generations. There's no one who doesn't feel fear. You wouldn't be living the human experience. So, our instincts, right? We run from something that feels uncomfortable. So our training is we have to teach ourselves to go back. We've just been living reactionary, it seems like, for quite some time. 100%. You talk about next play speed a lot. Would you mind explaining what next play speed is and why it's so important basketball? Sometimes in sports, we find ourselves not in the present, right? We're living five minutes ago or we're worried about something in the future. Next play speed is simply making mental skills and analytic because you can train yourself to go, how fast can I come back to the moment? Can I shoot two air balls and come back to the present and still trust my skills? The ultimate sign of success is you are in the present fully trusting. There's nothing else you can do besides that. You go, damn, it feels so vulnerable to be in this present moment to trust my skills, but I'm going to do it because I'm competitive and I'm coming back in the moment. And so at the end of the game, what you do is you don't judge yourself on the stats and results. You judge yourself on how present was I 
And when I wasn't present, how fast was my next play speed? There's a direct correlation. I started to introduce it at high school. And I said, if I can teach this to 14-year-olds, then we have something. And what we would tell them was, don't worry about results and outcomes. We know you want to get good results and outcomes. Be in the moment and move forward as fast as you can. I mean, electric fast. And once everyone started to buy into that, it's amazing what happens. It's phenomenal. So what is like some of the daily practice you give your athletes when it comes to moving on from the past, not judging yourself and staying in that present moment, that next play speed? Like what's a daily exercise you could do? Yeah, this is all about repetition. So the way you phrase it is right. There's no quick fix. There's no overnight success. The very first thing is, is how am I setting my goals? Most people's goals are so astronomically away from the present moment. They're like, I got to win the MVP. I got to get these stats. I got to do all this. We bring our goals back to what's the simplest action I'm doing in the moment right now that I can control, right? So it draws you back into the present for a simple motion. So if you can boil it down to the simplest movement, let's just say basketball, for example, snap your wrist, right? You go down to like, okay, that's the simplest movement I do. That becomes my goal. Not make the shots, not win the game, not any of that. All of that is an outcome and a result that pulls you away from the present. So Mm -hmm. the very first thing we do is we look at our linguistics and how we're talking. And in the world of sports, all anyone cares about is winning and results. So we have to acknowledge that 99% of the people around us are going to pull language away from the present. And me and whoever I'm working with, let's get our language back to right here, right now. So if I'm a quarterback, right, I'm dropping back. I'm throwing my arm. I can do that every play. No one can stop me from doing that. What happens after it leaves my arm, I have no control over. So the very first thing is we accept that reality. And as we accept that, then we shift. We go, okay, so my goal is to be in the moment. My goal is to trust and accept. So now our goals become, I'm trusting my skills. And here's the big one, ruthlessly accept whatever happens. And it's the acceptance piece that most people don't do, right? So we're working on soft skills, compassion and grace. How easily can I roll on? How easily can I be like water? How easily can I flow forward and just do this little movement that I've been doing since I was five years old, right? It's not that complex. I love that. That's the foundation. We are not trying to win the MVP. We are not trying to win a game. Winning a game is a series of how many times did you do this and trust and accept? You did it 45 times. Were you present for all 45 times you did that? Shit, we got a good chance to win, man. Good chance. (laughs) But nobody knows the outcome. So don't be a sucker and think about outcomes. So we completely, as a competitor, annihilate the outcomes and come into a ruthless process focus. And even beyond the process, because you hear that word, here's where it kicks in, is the pleasure. Mm. So let's say we were having an ice cream eating contest. I would just enjoy the ice cream. I wouldn't worry about what was happening, like if you were going to judge how I did later on eating the ice cream. So if you can get back into, man, we are simply just playing a game right now. The goal is to play the game. The goal is to have fun like a child, even though I got this man-ass body that I've trained my whole life. (laughs) But I'm not going to think analytical because that doesn't help whatsoever, clearly, right? Because if your brain's analytical, it messes it all up. So I'm going to go back to a childlike state with adult discipline, and I'm going to discipline myself to have fun doing the simplest body movements I can. And anyone who challenges that, no, I'm going to do it every single time. So once I can get that philosophy across, right? We go, okay, that shifts my whole focus from trying to like win a game or any of that. Like we're just trying to be in the moment. Now, technique-wise, sure, we can meditate, we can visualize, we can work on our affirmations, and we can do meditation every day for years to help us calm, to help us get in the moment and read. But before even a technique is what is your philosophy? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
thinking about the NBA the other day, there was a couple of players who just like showed out in the preseason, played their butt off. No one was paying attention to preseason games. They got a lot of time. Season comes on. All of a sudden, they're coming off the bench. Everyone's expectations of them goes up. And all of a sudden, they're unable to make a shot. They're unable to play free like you're talking about. And so much of it is that pressure they put on themselves to match the stat lines from preseason to show out the way they did. It's all in results and outcomes. And I think that shift in focus of mindset is such a powerful thing that I don't think a lot of people understand. And that's what I want to get to a little bit here is I think so much of what we're talking about is in the NBA, but a lot of our listeners obviously aren't NBA players, right? I've taught in high school. I've worked in the fitness industry. I've done sales. I've done everything. And what I've noticed about this is that this stuff helps you in life, in everything you're doing. So let's just say, for example, you have a company and you're running a company, you have a business and you get an earnings report and it's not what you thought, right? And you get this wave of emotion that just comes into you, Right. What I've noticed with really good leaders is they pause for a second. They don't react to that emotion mindlessly and transfer that fear then to their staff who then has to deal with that pressure and deal with it. They own their own emotions. So before they respond, they get themselves in a good place. Maybe they meditate. They center themselves. This could be a nurse. This could be a surgeon. This could be a teacher. This could be a mom. This could be a dad, a business person. I use this every day in my life. When stuff comes up for me, I try to choose my response. So the process I work with, I call it being a conscious energy officer, CEO. We all have to be the CEO of our own energy. And I just take people through a process. And the first thing is, do you have a problem or a paradox? Just start with that. And a problem is you have to solve it right away or something bad's going to happen. So let's say, for example, you realize I started to choke right now. If you kept interviewing me instead of trying to help me be unchoked, I would like die right in front of you. We have a problem. Most people think they have a problem and really they have a paradox. A paradox might be, man, I have this tough report to do at work. My boss told me to do it one way. I clearly know to do it another way, which would be far better, but I'm nervous to do it because he told me that, right? No one's stopping you from doing it the way you know to be that's right, yet you have a paradox, right? You're like, "Ah, I don't know if I should do this stuff. So what I try to help people with is you can get to, man, this is a paradox. I don't have a problem. There's actually nothing outside of me stopping me at all then let me go in and work on my own stuff. Let me choose my response, right? This is when some meditation comes in. Really being aware of your self-talk, coaching yourself through this situation so you can choose to respond with the right energy. And what I found is on any level, a coach, a leader, a person, a teacher, a parent, if you respond with the right energy, people listen to you because you have done the work internally, which is hard. Fear is the most contagious thing I've seen, right? Fear hits me, ah! (laughs) Someone just passes it to the person next to him. So when fear hits you, you gotta go, oh wow, I just got a wall of fear. Now what's my response to this? Am I in danger? No, I'm not even close to being in danger. I feel in danger, but I'm not close. So I'm gonna take a breath, choose my response, and then in anything I'm doing, a dad, a mom, a teacher, whatever you're doing in life, watch what happens after that. So much more powerful. Love that, man. Something I talk to my athletes a lot about is the idea that events don't do anything to us. It's a response that creates the outcome. And I talked to a lot of neuroscientists and psychologists who studied people who successfully respond to situations. They measure it by the amount of time between the actual event and then their response. No time reaction, normally bad, (laughs) you know, (laughs) a little bit of a pause, maybe even a minute or two or longer, you know, that's a response, not a reaction. And that creates the outcome in your life. And I think if we start thinking about everything in our life that way, You'll have some insights that I don't think you ever have before. Yeah. What are some exercises you give people to do that? I came up with a technique called MVP, and it's just a combination of a few things. The M is for meditation, the V is for visualization, and the P is for powerful self-talk. You might breathe for two or three minutes, and I don't have any specific breathing technique. It's just focus on your breath and start to get into the now. And the main thing, when I lead MVPs, I talk at a much slower pace. 
I just slow the whole thing down and get you into a different vibration. All you got to do is listen to it. And so it gives someone a tool. It immediately changes their state. And then I say, go respond after that. Now go deliver the information that you want to deliver. Go give what you have to give, but do it from this state. And the way I look at doing an MVP or a meditation, it's like learning to hear better. And what I mean by hear better is, you know the deal, you start to quiet the noise and you just start to hear deeper. So the initial reaction might be, I'm in danger. (laughs) But 99% of you is like, you're so full of shit. Like I'm not even close to in danger. (laughs) Because the part that says you're in danger, it really isn't that smart. For some reason, we've been designed like this. But if we can learn to tap into our deeper intelligence, that intelligence is just superior. And so the MVP is a way to gradually and slowly start to bring yourself into that space. And what I've noticed over time was I just started making lots of music recently because it's the easiest way I could find to get this to people. And music is non-invasive, right? So coming back to like athletes, how do you turn an athlete on or someone who's like, I don't want to do this. What is this stuff? I'm like, listen Mm. to songs, put some music on. Who doesn't like music? And if you don't like music, man, I don't even know what to say. That's (laughs) it. (laughs) So... The last part of MVP is positive self-talk. I keep coming back to this, man, because I think the self-talk side of things is the biggest breakthrough I feel like I've had personally for some of the athletes I've worked with because I don't think people really realize if they're not talking to themselves, how much they're really listening to themselves. And that listening is like what you're saying is that like, I'm in danger. Something's wrong. Like, I'm going to get fired. These people don't like me. I'm going to go broke. Like, all of those (laughs) things, you know? And so can you just take us through maybe some of the go-to scripts you give athletes or people you work with to deal with stress and anxiety? I think the first thing I do is just kind of have fun with people. And I'm like, all the stuff coming up in your brain, does that stuff happen? Yeah. And they'll be like, no, it never happens. I'm like, so should we listen to the voice that's crazy like that, that just says (laughs) nonsense? And they all go, no, I should never listen to it. So I go, okay, now that we got logic out of the way, we can do that right away. That's not a very smart voice. For some reason, people grab onto it. And what I tell people is, well, your mind's job is to pump out 30,000 thoughts a day. That's what it does. Whether you like it or not, it's going to do that. So the very first thing we do is we start to observe thoughts and watch thoughts, right? We go, wait a second, I'm not my thoughts. And maybe Mm -hmm. you have a pattern of following a certain thought and it's tied on to a certain emotion. We are not our thoughts. That's not who we are. And by observing them, if you can simply say, I observed that thought that says I'm in danger, then clearly you're the observer. You're not the dangerous thought. You can observe that. So just by starting that starts to relax people just a little bit. That's the first thing my teacher did to me. I had all these wild thoughts going on in my head. She just smiled at me and she was like, none of those are true. And she wasn't like trying to convince me. She just knew. And Mm. that knowing helped out a lot. And then she said, close your eyes and meditate. And then what she did was she said, it's an energy source inside of me that goes wild. And then I follow thoughts that just take me away from the energy source. And so she just brought me back to the energy source. And we did an exercise like this. She said, I want you to visualize your anxiety, visualize the intensity. And I was like, visualize. And then right away, it just popped in my mind and it was a lion. And I was like, oh, there it is. It's a lion. And she said, okay, what's it doing? And I said, it's just roaming around talking shit. (laughs) And she said, that's terrifying, right? And so she said, it's never been trained. You have to train that. And I was like, train it. She was like, tell it to sit down. And in my mind, I'm like, sit down, lion. And it looked at me and sat down. And I was like, it sat down. And she was like, well, you didn't know you were in charge of it. That changed my whole life. Mm. And so I got 50,000 lions sitting next to me. They just do what I say now because I've disciplined myself to control that energy and not let it get onto like a thought that just runs wild. And then the lion's just doing crazy shit. So that's a training, right? That's not you do it an hour. That's like, okay, a couple years later, I can really manage this well. But by visualizing it as a thing and then learning I had to like help it tame itself, Now I have a tame lion that's just like, tell me when to go, man. When you need it, I'm here. But if not, we don't need to bite anybody. That's not worth it. You know? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
When we come back, Graham gets into how physical activity supports mental health, how tough times are an opportunity to do real work, and how the best things in life and psychology are simple. If you're enjoying this episode of Trained, here's some good news. You'll find more wellness expertise every day on Nike.com, the Nike app, the Nike Run Club app, and the Nike Training Club app. You can learn more about mindset, movement, nutrition, recovery, and sleep, and you can get started on a workout as soon as you finish this episode. So what's a daily exercise you can do for next play speed? I would say this, the foundation for all of my mental health is physical, right? You have to get into your body. So exercise is the start to learning to be present. So a small physical practice. I mean, people do yoga. Yoga is not for flexibility. It's notice how you feel after, right? You're in a much better place. You're centered. Your mind's in a better place. So every day, this is non-negotiable. I'm going to move my body. And that puts me into a better state. And then after that, I work on personal development. It's something you want to work on. So Ryan, once you just start with the intentionality that I want to work on myself, the very first thing we do is we just say, okay, what's in your control? What's out of your control? First exercise. What's in my control is how I respond to situations. So all you do is this, as you go through your day, take a little notebook with you and you just jot down all the times your feelings come up and just notice your response or reaction. And you just start to become aware like that. It's an exercise to bring awareness. Simple as that. And then if you can do an MVP every day, let's say you start your day off doing like a little meditation or finish it real simple, and do a guided meditation. You don't have to sit there by yourself and close your eyes. Like just have someone guide you through it. Mm -hmm. You can find it on YouTube, go to Headspace. I mean, just make it easy, right? And you just kind of make it a little practice. And then every day, I just work on progress over perfection. I mean, I'm working on it every day. No one's perfect at this. The end game is one day we're all going to die, and and then we move on. But until then, we just kind of, with our intention, do the best you can to be where your feet are. You just start there. So you look at your shoes, and you go, okay, my feet are here. I got to be here as well. And just start there. Just see if you can be where you are a little bit more. That's the start. Love that, man. That's really good. Are there any stories of the athletes that you worked with about like the transformation that you saw them go through to where they are today? You know, a lot of the NBA players I've worked with, they're still in their low 20s. A lot of their transformations are still coming. A big thing I've seen with a lot of players, though, is they have this focus of money. I'm so driven to get this contract, or I'm so driven to get this thing in the future. And we talked about outcome results. And they're driven, 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 driven. And I've seen this with tons of them. And then they sign a $100 million deal. And then two days later, they feel empty. And they're like, what is this? Yeah. And then in that moment, they realize this wasn't the fulfilling thing and that I have to learn to fill myself from inside, not gaining all these things from the outside. That's a huge moment. And sometimes, Ryan, I can't connect with them until they go through that because mm. they're like, no, man, it's $100 million. And I can't relate to someone giving me $100 million when I'm 21 years old. <laughs> There's like 20 people yeah. who can. So their experience is different. And after they notice like, yes, it's great to have money, but that fulfillment comes from the inside. So the growth goes to a spiritual connection. That's what I see with people is you start getting this stuff from the outside and you're like, wait a second, I need to build myself up from the inside because that's where the fulfillment actually is. A lot of people I think struggle with using some of these mental performance skills because they expect to see a difference immediately. You keep using strength training as an analogy and I love it because it's so true. You can't do one workout and expect your body to be completely transformed. You lose the 40 no. pounds and you know, you're ripped all of a sudden. It takes years of consistent effort and there is no quick fix. That's right. On a more day-to-day level, how can we apply these methods to the hard times we're in right now? 
So what we actually have is a great opportunity to do this work because the cool thing is, Ryan, all this work we're talking about, it works. Yeah, all of yeah. this works. It's a 100% guarantee. Bet my life on it. Bet my family's life on it. Bet your, bet everyone's life on it. I just was in a deep hole in a crisis 23 years ago, and that's when I found the tools. If this is your time being in a crisis in a deep hole, hey, lucky you. So the good thing is, since the other stuff's not working, turn in. Turn in right now. That's the opportunity we have. That's the fix. That's the solve. That's where our responsibility lies. There's nothing you can do about anyone outside of yourself. You have to go into yourself right now. Yeah, yeah. Let's embrace this. Let's have an attitude of like, I welcome this in. I want this in. I want the transformation. Is this an intense workout right now? To every human I've talked to, it's the most intense of their entire lifetime, of anyone's lifetime. No one can even comprehend it. So here we are. So I want people to hear hope right now. But then you have to go do the work. <laughs> yeah. Do you think it's just the awareness of that trauma that forces some people to dive in and do the work and others to completely continue to avoid it? Is there a choice? There is a choice. It could be resources around you. Like I reached out for help and my mom wasn't like, you're soft, you're a punk. <laughs> yeah. She said, oh, I have someone to help you. And yeah. Graham, way to go. Follow your heart. So I got encouraged to do it. Now, did I go do the work after and invest a ton of money in it and fall in love with therapy? Hell yeah, I did that. That's like someone teaches you to work out. Then you're like, man, I hired a trainer after. I went for it. you yeah. know. So I did all that, but I had an encouraging mom, man. I didn't have a dad who was like, oh, you're soft. You're a punk. Don't do that. I mean, my dad wasn't really in my life, so maybe that was uh, lucky for me. But my mom wasn't just encouraging me to do it. So I think the more people we have encouraging people to do it, showing them in those moments, man, man here's a way. Here's a way to do it. We can keep helping people do this work. Because I think about that all the time, too. I'm like, why wouldn't someone do this work? Why would you go away? And all I can think of is cold. Culturally, they're told not to do it. Maybe their family's telling them not to do it. Society might be telling them not to do it. So it's scary to do this work. But if we can help people lean into it when they have these moments and come towards it, man, it changes your whole life. I tell my athletes, I'm not envious of them in the time they're growing up in because I didn't have social media telling me how terrible I played every single game. The second I finished, I missed a shot and I'm the worst shooter in the NBA. The heaviness of social media and the ability to escape into that sometimes, there's a lot more happening in people's lives today than there was when I was in my early 20s or high school. I can't imagine what kids go through and people go through today. Can you talk a little bit about how you work with your players in controlling the inputs of like what they allow in when it comes to yeah. social media, when it comes to watching ESPN after the game? What are some of the things you give your players to help control some of those inputs? The single most important thing you can do for anyone is you connect them to their source. I'm being real with you right now. You connect them to the essence, their source, call it God, call it creator, call it energy, whatever it is. You connect them to the deepest, strongest voice ever, right? It's not up here. It's that intuitive voice inside of you that knows what to do. Because if you can connect them to that, they stop looking for validation outside. The scariest thing ever is everyone's looking for validation, right? That's why you mm -hmm. go listen to what other people are saying. So then you're like, oh, they think I'm good. Yay, they think I'm bad, terrible. Ultimately, you can't be listening to other people. You have to connect to it through yourself. That's the supreme confidence. So all of my work is not getting it so like people say nice things to them or anything. It's like, hey, man, allow people to say whatever they want about you. Whatever. Mm. Totally be like, I allow you to say I'm bad. I allow you to say I'm good. That's empowering, right? You're welcome to. But I listen to my source and I'm connected to my source. Many basketball players have asked me, how come I don't need their validation when I train them? Because usually they need you to post something or you're like, hey man, go tell people you're working with me. I'm like, young man, I'm validated through source. I don't need you at all. That's why I have supreme confidence. You can say whatever you want. You cannot believe me for five years and I could care less. Yeah, yeah. 
right? And then five years later, you're like, oh my God, it's the greatest thing ever. I'm like, I don't care if you say that. None of that matters. It's my connection to it. So ultimately, that's the start of the outside sources. Mm. And then ask yourself this simple question. So what do you think social media does for you? You know what I mean? You already know. it's you Because if you're working on your mental health, you don't go towards social media. Everybody knows that. <laughs> if you plan in Instagram time or social media time, you realize you're not using it all throughout your day to escape from whatever else is going on in your head. Do you talk about that with athletes at all, like the use of social media and how often to use it or plan that out? Or how do you coach them to not allow yeah. it to be a place that they escape? What you said is true, right? People are escaping. So I try not to be like a parent or a teacher or someone yeah. saying, hey, like, don't do this. I just always ask him, what's it like for you when you're done with it, man? And what are you getting from it? And if I can establish a real relationship with them, they'll be real with me. They're like, I'm going on this because I want people to like me or I need to be liked or something like that. And I'm like, do you feel liked? You got a million followers. Do you actually feel liked? And they're like, I don't feel liked at all. So I'll be yeah. like, okay, is that working? So I just try to work with them because right? everyone's looking for connection. They're doing it for a reason. And I'm like, are you getting the connection you want? After a while, they're like, I'm just not. I, all right, well, keep figuring it out. But I try not to be like, that's bad. Here's the good way. Sure, yeah. You know, I noticed when I was with the Jazz for a couple of years, NBA players that come to the training tables, you know, everyone just pulls their phone out and they're just on their phone and it might be habitual. You know, it's also big business now. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all of that. I just always bring it back to how's it affecting your mental health? If I want to feel lonely, I go on social media. <laughs> <laughs> Over the 17 years you've been doing this, is there any themes that pop out for you if you just look back? Yeah, I would say this. It's keeping it simple. Everything is super simple. The best coaches I've ever seen, they just make things really, really simple in the moment. And the one thing I've noticed, it's not the X's and O's you know. It's not the details of the game you know. It's the energy with how you transfer the information. That's all it is. Love that. And for those of us that aren't trying to make baskets, how do you apply that same energy to go into your job every day? We're all a CEO. So we're all a conscious energy officer. Energy is our offering. So whatever you're doing, you want to be working on creating good energy in every situation, which means, of course, you have to be present. You have to be willing to be vulnerable. You got to own your stuff, be aware of your self-talk, choose your response, right? And then your energy is palpable, right? You're good at whatever you're mm -hmm. doing. Like, I'm not an athlete. I don't play professional sports or anything, but I'm an energy officer, right? I own this. So I go through my day owning that as a leader and choosing my response as best as I can. Am I perfect at it? No. So I work on progress over perfection, 100%. And we all have unlimited power, and it's about learning to create potency in the present and having an impact with your actions. Simple as that. So the way you judge success is how potent am I in the present moment, and what's the impact of my actions? Love it, man. Thank you for the time, man. I greatly appreciate you, and keep up the great work. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Thanks for spreading this stuff. Thanks for doing what you do. The more we talk about this, we normalize it. Everyone has access to it. So thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. This was one of those interviews that just left me feeling more awake. Maybe it was Graham's raw energy. Maybe it was his no-nonsense language. Or maybe, at the end of the day, there's just nothing that wakes me up like an hour-long conversation about the present moment with a guest who seems absolutely rooted in the present moment. And every one of the concepts that Graham discussed, the next play speed, the MVP technique, focusing on minute physical mechanics, are just different ways of looking at and returning to the present moment. That red thread running through the interview left me with one powerful and, to Graham's point, simple directive. Whenever I get distracted by a negative voice, whether it's yours or mine, I can just come back to where my feet are. And apparently it helps if your sneakers are bright blue. That's a win that's available to all of us, pro or no, in season or off, and in the grand scheme, it's one of the only wins that really matters. 
So here's to hoping our new winning streak starts today. This has been Trained. Talk to you soon. If you've enjoyed this episode of Trained, help us spread the word by rating and reviewing the podcast. That way we can keep making great episodes for you to listen to. And it helps other people find us too. If you've got a question for me or my guests or a topic you'd like to see covered, email me at trained at nike.com and I'll see what I can do. Thanks for listening to Trained. Just a reminder, always talk with your doctor before starting any training or nutrition program. The information we provide isn't a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. And the individual opinions expressed here are just that, opinions.